The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Star Wars 7x7 episode 2615. Today, it's the non-spoiler review of Tempest Runner, the original audio drama by Kevin Scott, set in the era of the High Republic. Punch it! Hey Rebel Rouser, I'm Alan Voivod and this is Star Wars 7x7, your daily dose of Star Wars joy and thank you so much for joining me for it. So Tempest Runner is out today and it's about a six hour long audio drama. Great fun. This is now the third audio drama that's been released by Penguin Random House Audio, third audiobook original, if you will, following the Dr. Aphra release by Sarah Kuhn and Dooku Jedi Lost by Kevin Scott. And I will say it feels like it fits in a way better than the previous two. Dooku Jedi Lost was great and it was also kind of out of nowhere in the sense that it didn't necessarily connect really to anything that was being released in and around that time. And the Dr. Aphra audio drama did build upon the Dr. Aphra stories that were in the comics, but you know, just kind of expanded on the existing story. And so, yeah, also wasn't necessarily connected to you know, any other larger storytelling initiative situation, really. I mean, yeah, unless you, you know, want to count the Dr. Afra comics that were coming out and just learning more about the character. But The High Republic is its own multi-platform, super mega storytelling initiative, as we've talked about many times, as I'm sure you've heard about many times. And so getting an original audio drama as part of this absolutely makes a lot of sense and it's a refreshing change of pace to get storytelling in this fashion. Of course there have been audiobook adaptations of the books that have been released so far but to do something as an audio only situation yeah it you know makes a lot of sense. And so to keep this mostly non-spoilery, there may be like one or two little things that I share that, you know, haven't been put out there yet, but really we're not going to get into spoiler territory. The first thing I want to talk about is the cast and in particular Jessica Almacy, who plays Lorna D. What a fantastic characterization. I think you're probably going to be hearing a lot about her performance as you hear more reviews of it come in, but she does a tremendous job with the character. And as mentioned earlier, there have been other audiobook adaptations, but certainly only one narrator doing the whole host of voices, getting the opportunity to have one person dedicating a whole performance around it was terrific. And considering the scope of the character's life that's shared in the course of this story, then yeah, it's even more amazing what Jessica does throughout this whole performance. And then there's Dan Bittner who plays the character Counselor Wittick, and Counselor Wittick is part of the prison ship on which Lorna D finds herself, but under a different name because as the publisher summary says, they think that she is somebody else, like they don't realize exactly who it is that they have in their control. And the relationship that develops between Lorna D and Counselor Wittick over the course 
of the story is one of the best things. And I tweeted out something about you know wanting to be able to talk in spoiler territory about the end of part five. And I'm not going to go into that spoiler territory here just yet, but I will just say that it involves Lorna and Counselor Wittick. And it is just some of the best dialogue writing that I think we've had from Kevin Scott. He has done a tremendous job once again. He was great with the Dooku Jedi Lost audio drama. And I think that particular scene that I'm thinking about is some of his best work so far. The story also spends a lot of time digging into Lorna's past, and the way it's done is very well executed. I know that there was some work done with Dooku Jedi Lost in diving into Dooku's past, even as the current time story was being told. Well, that particular technique is employed in even more of a prolific fashion in the Tempest Runner story, and it is seamlessly melded. I mean, there are a couple of moments where you'll have, you know, present day Lorna talking and saying, ah, oh, that keeps happening to me. And then suddenly you're back into a flashback story where that thing that was happening happened before. But considering the number of times we transition into stories from the past, I mean, there are only so many ways that you can kind of give those audio cues leading into those stories. But the story stories themselves, the way they shake out, it's not just Lorna's past and how she came to be the person she is, but it's also some past information about relatively recent events that have happened in the High Republic Storytelling Initiative and stuff that ties in directly to the events of Wave 2 with the Rising Storm, since the you know, present day of this story is happening after the attack on Valo and the Republic Fair. And through these flashbacks, you're actually also getting a very interesting glimpse into the history of the Nile. And it's a history that goes back before the events of Light of the Jedi, before the hyperspace disaster. And we get to see Asgar Row, or we get to hear Asgar Row. Now, previously, we'd only heard Asgar Row as a voice in Martian Row's head, as it were. But now we actually have a living Asgar Row. And that in itself shouldn't be a surprise because in the cast list, Asgar Row is mentioned as is Martian Row, and so you're actually going to get to see the dynamic between them, which is really kind of fascinating, and especially how the transition happens from Asgar to Martian. It's rather surprising to say the least. And I will say I feel like that's one area that I wanted more from as a listener, especially considering how Asgard's voice is in Martian's head in the stories that we've already encountered in the High Republic. And so seeing you know this very important time reflected in Tempest Runner, I, I did want some more meat out of that personally, my own you know listening preference. And then, of course, there's Pan Ada, who, if you recall, is one of the Tempest Runners who was in the Rising Storm, sent into a trap after the Republic Fair situation, and is presumed dead. Well, he comes back in this story also in a rather surprising way, and in this particular case, it's actually a very satisfying way. 
And by the way, that cast list isn't exactly complete. I mean, it is for the most part, but there are a couple of extra voices here and there that have not been listed. And, you know, that's fine. That's okay. It's just, you know, it's more one of those situations where, you know, as they've talked about the High Republic, if you are just following main storylines, you can get the whole High Republic story and the whole gist of how this is unfolding, and that's perfectly fine. But if you're able to dig into all the stories, then you get these little nuggets that zing in other stories and you go ah and so this is a particular case of that where if you've been tracking the stories in Star Wars Insider magazine then you'll be familiar with administrator Velko Jahen and Gail Tarpfin who is the head of security on Starlight Beacon both of them are on Starlight Beacon and they make an appearance in this story as well which is good fun when you get to hear the voices. Overall, though, the story is really a story about identity, particularly Lorna Dee's identity, but also how that identity has been shaped and how she has shaped it over the course of her lifetime, not just with the Nihil, but where she comes from and the different you know, winding and unexpected paths that she's taken to get where she is today. And you know, previously it was seen as sort of a silly thing that her ship was called the Lorna Dean. In fact, characters in other High Republic stories were like, ha, you know, she named her ship after herself. Like, yeah, it was definitely looked on in a derisive fashion. Well, it turns out <laughs> that there's a whole story behind that and it ties into this whole sense of identity. And that I think is one of the, you know, brilliant things that Kevin Scott has come up with is just how, how that actually happened. Like, I just, I imagine a situation where, you know, Kevin Scott was either, you know, sitting by himself or some other folks were sitting with him and saying, yeah, her ship is named the Lorna D. Why is that? And this, this being the genesis for the whole story, like it just all exploding from there. Like I could see that as a possibility. And as for, you know, how things turn out, well, again, this is not spoiler territory. I will say that, you know, parts one through six are, you know, exceedingly well done. Part seven, which is the climactic action of this story, is a little bit confusing in the audio drama format. And there have to be a lot of you know, situations where people say, well, here we are with this, and oh, you know, I dropped that, oh, here's that, and things like that just to give you the cues so you understand exactly what's going on because you don't have the visual aspect for it. And that gets a little awkward, and especially considering the type of action that's happening, like it's a lot to try to process all in one shot. But the whole question of which way Lorna is ultimately going to go isn't settled by that climactic action. It's by what happens afterward in the final part eight. And it's almost tragic in its way, the way that it unfolds. But you can kind of see how, you know, all things considered with everything that's happened before, there's really no other way that it could have unfolded. Ultimately, Lorna D becomes a much more complex and nuanced character in the hands of Kevin Scott, thanks to this story. And it really does come down to, you know, kind of a balance thing. In fact, you know, I got to thinking about the Luke Skywalker line about Darth Vader and sensing that there was still good in him. And there is still good in Lorna D. And that factors into the whole identity thing, because the question becomes, who is she going to be and with all the things that she's seen and all the things that she's done does she believe she's redeemable does she even want to be redeemed and the people she's meeting are they worth redeeming herself for 
And I think that's where we're going to leave things as far as a non-spoiler review. A lot of great stuff about Tempest Runner. A little bit confusing toward the climactic action at the end, but otherwise a wonderful nuanced characterization of Lorna D. A fascinating history of the Nile and of her own backstory. And as usual, great production from Penguin Random House Audio with the music and the sound effects and the atmosphere. Like, yeah, they always take it up a notch for these full cast audio drama things and they've done just a wonderful job again for Tempest Runner. So there you go. That's where we're going to leave things for now. And it just remains for me to say thank you so much for joining me for this show as always and may the force be with you wherever in the world you may be. By seven is not endorsed or sponsored yet by Lucasfilm Limited, Disney, or 20th Century Fox, and is intended for entertainment and information purposes only. Star Wars, the Star Wars logo, all names and pictures of Star Wars characters, vehicles, and any other Star Wars-related items are registered trademarks and or copyrights of Lucasfilm Limited. Other respective trademark and copyright holders may the force be with them. All original content is copyright 2021 by Star Wars 7x7. We hope you love it.